Today, I'm actually reaching way back to 1996 and borrowing a, a uh, title from um, a song that I actually was always curious about, Toni Braxton, uh, from her second debut album, Secrets, and the title was Unbreak My Heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still waters. And here's the point. He, what? Restores my soul. Lord, pour out miraculous anointing in this moment, in this space. Not just on me, but for all, everyone who's listening, both personally and by video. Change all of our lives with this teaching, including my own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Um, I've got some, uh, uh, some good news. Um, the other, several nights ago, my wife and I was watching the Olympics as we do every night. And we were just overjoyed to, find, to see uh, a young lady from Stanford. Her name is Simone Manuel. Uh, win the gold. Is that amazing? First African-American to win a gold in this swimming event. And then what, was, what drove me to a level of ecstaticness was that Simone is a part of our extended community here at NBCC. Let's celebrate that. Hallelujah. Yeah. Several months ago, she was worshiping with us, and she came out, and she introduced herself. She said that she was uh, on the American Olympic team, and that she was headed to Rio, uh, and that, uh, you know, she'd be swimming, and, and uh, asked me what I prayed. I said, absolutely, let me pray for you. And I said, and we, we prayed that uh, God would bless her to bring home the gold. And uh, <laughs> tell somebody, God answers prayer. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, mean, I was ecstatic, and so listen, as soon as she gets back here and gets settled, we're going to ask her to come and just share a little bit of her testimony. You think that's a good idea? Would, that, would you be interested in that? Praise God. All right, so stay tuned. We're going to keep you posted. Uh, but I want to talk about another Olympian uh, today in this message, and his name is Michael Phelps. And any of you who have been keeping up with Olympics, you know that Michael Phelps now, as of yesterday, is the most decorated Olympian in the history of the games. He has, uh, in 16 years, he has won 28 uh, medals, 23 of them are gold, and he won five of them in this past uh, week alone. The most decorated, just a remarkable athlete. And yet, four years ago, he retired from swimming after the, the Olympics in London. And six months after that, his life took a nosedive. And he ended up falling from the great heights of unprecedented accomplishment into the deepest, darkest valley of despair. Listen to what he says in his own words as he describes this, this, this period in his life. He says, I was a train wreck. I was just like a time bomb waiting to go off. I had no self-esteem, no self-worth, 
Yeah, there was a time I didn't want to be here. It was just not good. I, I was just so lost. Everybody shout lost. This is the great Michael Phelps. Where do I go from here? What do I do now? How can a household name after 2012 Olympics, the greatest athletes, one of the greatest athletes in the world, in six months end up there? It's a great question. We're going to come back to it. Put a pin to it right there. Psalms 23 is written by King David, the most influential king in the history of the nation of Israel. King David, like uh, Michael Phelps, knows a little something about reaching the highest heights of the unprecedented success and falling in the lowest valley. Now, the big idea of this message is simply this. Here's what I want you to say to your uh, turn to the person next to you, you pick the person, I don't care, pick one, and, and just simply say to them, uh, you can get better. Tell them that. All right, all right. Now find somebody else, I don't care if it's behind you, in front of you, find somebody, and point at yourself, but say to them, I can grow through this. Come on, say that. Come on, say that. Keep pointing at yourself. I can grow through it. Not that I can go through it, but I can grow through it. This is a lesson that King David teaches us in Psalms 23. Most people think that King David wrote this psalm when he was well advanced in years. That he was looking back over his lifetime and he, he, he pulls out two images to really talk about his, his lifetime journey with God. This psalm is about him and God. It's clear in, in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That's King David's way of saying the next six verses is about God, he's the shepherd, and it's about me, I'm the sheep. You're going to be talking about my life. That's what David is saying. And when he looks back over his course of his life, he thinks about it as a young boy, he was a shepherd, he knows about the world of shepherd, and he uses that as an image to talk about how his extended journey with God has not just seen God's faithfulness, but he's been totally transformed by it. And it's a remarkable journey with peaks and valleys. The peaks are defined in, in terms of his accomplishments. He, when he became king of Israel, they were a fragmented group of tribes. And after he finished his tenure, they were one of the strongest nations in the world, was one of the most sophisticated governments in the world. And they were set on the threshold of what was called the golden age age of Israel, which would be led by his son. Unprecedented accomplishment. And yet as King David, as an older man now, looks back over his life, he can see a lot of dips and a lot of valleys. And in those valleys where he suffered trauma and heartbreak, that each time he thought probably he would never overcome. That he wouldn't make it Beyond it. He wouldn't be able to grow through it. I'm sure he looked back and remembered as a teenager. He looked up to King Saul. That was his hero. And out of jealousy, King Saul would turn on David and spend years trying to kill him. Not unlike those of us in our own teenage years or some of our teenagers 
who had heroes and had our dreams dashed when we discovered that those heroes were not who we thought they were. Some father walked out of our life and shattered our family life. He wasn't who we thought we, he was. Some teacher who we admired made a pass at us and we discovered she or he was not who we thought they were. Or some pastor who we put up on a pedestal we discovered he lived a life of huge dishonesty. That kind of stuff would just break your heart. Or perhaps he remembered when his best friend Jonathan was killed in war, a young man. And, and he was shattered, brokenhearted, traumatized by this untimely death. Not unlike a lot of us who've had dear friends or loved ones who've been snatched from us by untimely death. Maybe it was a car accident. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a, a drug overdose. Maybe it was a suicide. Maybe it was some horrendous act of violence. It leaves us traumatized and heartbroken. And, and we, 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 we feel like, I just can't get past it. David understood that. I'm sure David thought about his life as a parent and he felt the sense of failure and guilt and shame that a lot of us parents feel. You know, David, one of his boys raped a sister, half-sister. He had another son who killed that brother, Absalom, then turned on his own father and ultimately Absalom had to be killed. And you could read about David saying, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, if only it had been me. Not unlike some of us parents who, you know, it's, it's the child that you know is brilliant. And at the last moment they tell you, you know, I'm not going to college. Breaks your heart. Oh, that beautiful baby that's born and you've discovered that she or he is, uh, has severe special needs. Breaks your heart. And you're living with it right now. You're living with that heartbreak. And some of you have concluded, I'll never get past it, really. I'll, I'll bury it. I'll pretend it's not there. But I really can't get better. But David's got a word for you. Or maybe, maybe, I'm sure David remember, you know, one of his worst mistakes. Sometimes we break our own hearts. And, 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 you know, we just do crazy stuff. And David, remember, he was standing on top of a roof at the height of his success. He looks over and he sees a woman named Bathsheba. Uh, and he has an affair with her. She gets pregnant to cover up his tracks. He has her husband murdered and killed. And then ultimately, that's how Psalms uh, 51 is born, where we hear David cry out to God and says, Have mercy on me, O God, with your tender, tender compassion. It is against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And y'all know what... You know, Let's just be real. We've all done some stuff to break our own hearts. And some of us are living with it and we've concluded we'll never actually get by it. We won't actually ever get better. We, we, that regret wakes us up every morning. David has a word for us. First of all, David says that there are some heartbreaks that are so horrendous that they go deeper than our biology. There's so trauma, some traumas that are so extraordinarily uh, powerful and painful that, 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 that it, it involves more than just traumatizing our brain and our emotions. That, that, that David argues, 
for that. And he says, I've lived through it. I've seen it in my own life. David argues that there are some heartbreaks. There are some traumas. There are some pain that goes so deep that it literally penetrates and wounds our very souls. And then David gives us good news. Everybody shout, good news. He gives us some incredibly good news. He says, if that's where you are, because David says, that's where I was. He says, I can look back over my life. I can see it again and again and again. And I thought I couldn't recover. I thought I would never get better. He says, but I'm here to tell you, verse 3, I'm here to tell you that God restored my soul. God is a soul restorer. That's good news, y'all. What David is saying is that if you're sitting here today filled with a broken heart that you have concluded that you can never get better from, that you can never actually grow through, David says, I guarantee you, God is a soul restorer. You can. Everybody say, soul, soul. It's a word we don't use as often much. It's a uniquely biblical word. And the first thing that we need to know about soul is that it is the best word to describe who we are as individuals in totality. You remember the first time it was introduced is in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. It says that the text says that God created man out of dirt. And so man's lying there shaped out of clay. And then the text says, in the King James Version, it says, and God breathed into his nostrils. That's, that's, this, this. Everybody say breathe. That's that breath. The word is ruah, the the, the winds that were part of early creation. That's what's being breathed into his nostrils. This this comes from God. And and suddenly, uh, then it says, and man becomes a living soul. The NIV translates it, and man becomes, becomes a living soul. Being. So when we talk about ourselves as a soul, what we're saying is we're talking about the essence of our very being. It's not as much external as it is internal. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalms 103 puts it this way in King James Version. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Watch this. And everything that is within me. Or the NIV says it this way. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and my innermost being. The soul is the part of me, come on now, that cannot be treated with medicine. It cannot be fully analyzed with psychology. And it cannot be explained with philosophy. And yet it is the center part of me that gives life to all other parts of me. It holds me together. Somebody say soul. Ask the person next to you, did you know that you are a soul? This comes as quite a discovery for some of us because in our Western world, in our global context, commercialism and and all the other isms uh, has a tendency of causing us to forget that we are in totality soul. Eugene Peterson, 
He writes about this. He's a great theologian. He's the one who gave us the Bible, which is uh, known as the message, uh, that wonderful translation. And here's what Eugene Peterson says, how we, how we see other people and see ourselves in ways that are less than simply souls. Here's what he writes. He writes, other people are potential buyers for what I'm selling, students for what I'm teaching, recruits for what I am doing, voters for what I'm proposing, resources for what I'm building or making, clients for the services I'm offering, or to reverse the elements, identify myself simply as I'm the potential buyer, the potential student, recruit, resource, client. And what, what Eugene Peterson is saying is that in life, so often we're reduced. We see ourselves as a resource. We see ourselves as a client. We see ourselves as a voter. We see ourselves, in a sense, as a product. Come on now. Or as a producer. And, 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 and while those realities are true, we are so much more than our gifts. We are so much more than these individual roles. You know what? We are souls. Souls. Well, let me tell you. Here, let me illustrate how this becomes uh, extremely important to know the distinction. Michael Phelps, why did he retire in 2012? Here's Michael Phelps' explanation. Here's what he says. He told his coach that he was, uh, he despised, he despised the image of perfection that had been produced by his success and that he wanted freedom and so in search of freedom, he retired. And six months later, his life hits down the drain. Six months later, there's a picture that is, pops all over the news. It's, it's, it's Michael Phelps smoking one of these big old pipes. I don't know what they call. Y'all know what it's called. And, <laughs> Somebody said something about a, a bong or something like that. And, and, and smoke is coming all out. Come on, in one setting, and then they, he's in the pool, and he's smoking another big, and smoke is coming all out. And, and, and it was reflective of a life beginning to come apart. What happened? Well, he, he, he begins to get there, he, although he doesn't fully understand it, but he articulates a little. He says, he says he's, I despise this image of perfection. Well, now, truth be told, no mature human being, none of you all in here, thinks or assumes that any human being is perfect. Nobody. You all know that people are imperfect. I remember I used to argue with some of my pastor friends, particularly those who were frustrated at the high standards that we're supposed to be living as teachers in the church. And sometimes out of their frustration, they'd come to me and they'd say, man, I'm tired, man. These people need it, man. They, they, I'm tired of folks treating me, acting like I got to be perfect. I said, man, ain't nobody think you perfect. <laughs> and nobody's asking you to be perfect. But they are asking you and they are asking me to be credible. Now, here's what Michael was saying. Listen. He doesn't know he's saying it, but here's what he's saying. He says, the image of imperfection. And here's what's going on in Michael. He has subtly ceased to be a soul in his consciousness. And he has quietly 
slowly become a thing. He was a commodity. He was a brand. He was a product. You see, we think of things as perfect. We don't think of people as perfect. We, you find the perfect house. You don't find the perfect spouse. <laughs> Somebody say amen. <laughs> right, 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 right. You get the perfect car. You get it set just the way that you want. But God knows you don't have the perfect children. Right? So, so, so we think of things as perfect. But, 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 but if you're not careful, if you lose sight of the fact that you are a soul, you will quietly become a thing. You know, we talk about dysfunctional people. But I'm here to tell you, you know, when you, this, that's a mechanical word, y'all. Water pumps are dysfunctional. <laughs> Hot water heaters, get, they dysfunctional. Souls are not dysfunctional. Souls are living beings, right? So souls get wounded. Souls become confused. Souls, come on now, get lost. Souls become disconnected. They lose sight of context. Everybody shout context. Okay, let me tell you what context is. The writer in 2.7 says this. God breathed into the dirt. And the breath of God, which establishes a relationship between God and the dirt, causes the dirt to come to life. And so the context of the soul requires that we know that we have a creator and the creator has created us for a purpose and he has surrounded us with an everlasting love that we neither earn nor lose but life traumas have a way of pushing us out of context we lose sight of creator. We don't know what we were created for. We simply wounded, confused, lost, disconnected souls. Let me illustrate. Michael Phelps, they, they came out with the, the bong, the pipe. The next thing we know, we found him in casinos gambling. Found him all over Las Vegas and Baltimore, sexing. Found him, found him partying and his life is completely out of control. And Michael doesn't know it, but there's a blank that he's trying to fill. He, 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 he's, he's in search. He doesn't have a word for it, but he's in search of his soul. That's what he's saying. Uh, unlike some of us, right? Uh, some of us, you know, you know, the fact, truth be told, we've been looking for, a, we didn't have a word for it. We didn't know we've been looking for something for a while. We just, you know, we got, we feasted different parts of ourselves. So uh, this is my role as a father. Uh, uh, this is my job as a teacher. These are my gifts as a preacher or a singer. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a resource. I have resource. Uh, oh, yeah, no, I'm a product uh, a manager. Oh, I'm, uh, oh, I'm looking. Where's my, where's my, 
I can't find This is Michael, man. He's partying. He's looking. Come on. He's smoking. He's looking. He's saxing. He's looking. He's trying to find. He doesn't know. He doesn't have the But he's looking for his. He's looking for his soul. He's he looking. He's like, where's my. Where's my soul? And it's right there in that moment that Jesus steps forward and says, What does it profit a man to win 28 gold medals? And lose his, y'all ain't listening. Uh, if you hear Jesus declare, what does it profit a CEO or a politician to scale to the heights of the world and lose her? So what does it profit? Come on now. Uh, you and me to win the world. But, 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 but. What? Lose my soul. Where is it? Ask your neighbor, do you know where your soul is? So often we, we've been defined, you know, by all these individual parts. Oh yeah, we, 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 we looking, we looking, we looking at all these individual parts. We see ourselves as a talent. But where's my soul? We see ourselves as a resource, but where's my soul? I'm a good mama, but where's my soul? This is the soul. This. The soul is what holds everything else together and gives life and gives meaning and gives purpose to everything else. You're more than your talent. You're more than your roles. You Ah, a soul. And it gets damaged. It gets broken. It gets wounded. And you get knocked out of context. And a soul out of context that know it has a creator is disconnected from creator that know what the purpose that soul starts parting and getting drunk that that soul starts gambling and losing its money that that soul is is searching but it doesn't know what is this it's really kind of searching for itself that's the sexing soul that's that that that's, that soul is the angry soul that's the, that's the shooting that's the violent soul he's looking he's looking he's looking he's looking Because he lost sight of a connection to a creator and a connection to the creator's purpose. And she doesn't realize that she's surrounded no matter what she does or doesn't do with an everlasting love. But when David says, he, God, not me, not your mama, not your girlfriend, but he, God, the shepherd, he restores. The word restores means return, means to reclaim, uh, means to renew. Uh, he, 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 God has a way of, if you let him, helping us to reconnect with God and the world as not individual Talents arose, but as a soul. Restores a soul. How does he restore soul? Come on, shout how. 
Man, y'all ask great questions. So stimulating. How, 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 how. Watch it. Here's the text. Let's go back. He says, I like the King James Version because the others try to soften it, but the King James hits it. It says, He maketh me lie down in green pastors. I'm searching. And then he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. David's talking about himself. David is saying, somewhere between the, 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 the shattering of my heroic image of Saul and the loss of my loved one, I got my, my soul got wounded. Somewhere between uh, uh, my son raping his half-sister and my other son getting killed, my soul got confused. Somewhere between... The, the, the chaos in my house and my infidelity with Bathsheba, my soul got lost. Somewhere in the valleys of life, my soul got disconnected. And I was out there in the high activity of Silicon Valley. But then he says, but he makes me. All right, here's the insight. In order to begin the process, and I'm going to go into details next week. I can't go into details. I'm going to hit high level today. So come back next week. Bring somebody broken hearted with you. All right. <laughs> high level. Say high level. high level. All right. Here it is. First thing, what he's saying, what David is saying, is that I looked up and God had broken my engagement with everyday activity. He calls me to stop. If I say stop. And, and what he's saying is that God brought my life to a rest. He stopped me. And he put me in a resting place. You know, that's where we get the word Sabbath, stop. And on a weekly basis, God says you ought to bring your life to a stop. I know you're in Silicon Valley. But God says you ought to bring it to a stop. I know you're trying to get ahead of the next person. But God says you ought to bring it to a stop. rest now here's what's challenging if you don't do it on your own you keep running with an unexamined soul life will stop you then you have to make sure you don't miss the moment okay back to Michael somewhere early 2014, January, February, he went to his coach. He said, coach, I've been drinking, partying, sexing, gambling. I got an emptiness, and I know what it is, but he didn't. He says, I need to go swimming. Let me get on the Rio team. The coach said, no, no, your life is a mess. Wherever you show up, tragedy comes. You're a heartbreak. Don't stay away from us. He said, no, coach. Give me one more chance. I'll work hard. I'll clean my act up. The coach said, okay, I'm going to trust you one more time. September 30th, Michael leaves a casino called the Horseshoe in Baltimore. Some of y'all from Baltimore, you know where it is. And, and, 
at about two, three in the morning, he gets in his car and he's driving 81 in a 55 miles per hour, uh, no passing lane going through one of the famous tunnels in Baltimore. The problem is he's in a no passing lane, passing. The police pulls him over and Michael here over the radio, young man, last name Phelps, first name Michael. And his eyes glaze over. He knows this is it. They arrest him, charges him with his second DUI in 10 years. When he gets out, he goes home. And Michael says that he stays in his house for five days in his bedroom in a curl ball. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. And, and, and what he really is, he's suicidal. He's at the end. In his own mind, he's become unlovable. He's become unwanted. He becomes... Something less than what he could define. Here's his words. Here's how he describes that moment. He says, for a moment, I thought it was going to be the end of my life, literally. Just because it was like, you know, the second one. How many times he's going to mess up? That's him thinking to himself. Yeah, it'll probably just be better without me, meaning the world would be better without him. Some of y'all are thinking some of the same stuff. People won't have to deal with the BS I give them or the crap I put them through. I just figured that it was the best thing to do was just to end my life. A fellow by the name of Ray Lewis, famous linebacker for the Ravens who had his own stuff. And God had redeemed Ray Lewis out of his stuff. He encountered Jesus and, and, and Ray Lewis was a soul that had gotten out of context. But, but, but when he encountered Jesus, he came back in the context. He discovered he had a creator and that he was created for purposes. And that those purposes were seen in a living relationship with God called Jesus. And there he found a love that would not let him go. And so Ray, so, so Ray started ministering to Michael. And some other friends joined Michael, joined him in it. And so finally Michael decided to check in, listen to this, into a behavioral rehabilitation center. Fancy name for a drug rehab, guys. <laughs> watch it, watch it. Watch what they, I told you, either you bring your life to a rest or God will let life arrest you. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. The NIV translates it. He maketh me lie down in green meadows. Michael checks into a behavior rehabilitation center. Guess what the name of the center is? The meadows. <laughs> and for 45 days, Michael, life is arrested. And once his life is arrested, it allows him to begin to reflect and in his reflection there is the process of discernment and discovery and he discovers some stuff play the tape Phelps also buried himself in a book Ray Lewis had given him The Purpose Driven Life it's turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself and there is a purpose for me on this planet. Second, third day he got in and he called me. He was like, I, man, this book is crazy. He was like, 
the things that's going on. Oh my gosh, my brain is, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm. I cannot thank you freaking enough, man. Like you saved my life. And so that was the moment when I started to hear he coming out of it. He, he will, he will make it. And then he started calling me with things he was reading from the book, and I was like, it's sinking in. For a long time, I thought I was to bring the family back together, baby. My therapist said, well, you failed. How does that feel? And then I read this, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think it helped me when I was in a place where I needed the most help. The lessons learned in those pages and in therapy convinced Phelps to try to rebuild his relationship with his father, Fred. They were going to have a family week, and I was invited to come spend the time with him, which I immediately jumped on. RSVP'd, I'll be there. Why? He's my son. I love him. I was shocked. I wasn't even going to invite him to family week. I just didn't think he would come. And I, I guess it was to the point where I was just like, why do I just want another no in my life? I was apprehensive, not the word. Maybe scared. Not at what I would find, but how I would be received. Which actually, I, it was fear that was unfounded. Because we saw each other, we shook hands, threw our arms around each other, gave a big hug. It was good. Challenging at times, but uh, probably the biggest learning experience that we could have with one another, about one another, that we've ever had in our lives. It was eye to eye contact, okay, here's what I got to say and here's what I need to ask. And it was honesty, both ways. I didn't want to have that what if. That's something that's so big for me. You know, I never wanted to go through my life and God forbid not have the chance to be able to share emotions that I wanted to share with him. It's kind of what I missed as a kid. What was the hardest part of the time you were there? Leaving. Why? Because I had my son back. Just didn't want to leave him. something back that I didn't know I would get back. When I did, there was love. Doesn't get better than that. In November of 2014, Phelps left the Meadows and resumed training for Rio. And the rest is history. Give God a hand, praise. Now let me wrap it up in five minutes. Here's how we wrap up. So the first thing David says, and Michael illustrates it, is that God arrested my life. He's teaching us that we need to create periods of bringing life to a rest. The second thing David says, he leads. Notice God is doing the initiating. He make it. He leadeth. He leadeth me besides the still waters. 
The NIV translates it, he leads me besides peaceful streams. What David is saying is that I've broken my normal day-to-day activity. I'm at rest. And now I find myself walking by peaceful streams. I'm not walking to work. I'm walking to reflect. And Michael is illustrating for us that in that time of reflection, uh, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Write these questions down because they're helpful to ask yourselves. First of all, what illusions am I chasing? Secondly, what is it that I'm trying to do that is beyond my ability or purpose to do? You heard him say that he thought his job was to repair his family, but it wasn't. Then thirdly, what pain that I think I have buried, but in fact, it's driving me. You see, when Michael was nine years old, his father, Fred, abandoned the family. So at nine years old, that's where Michael's soul got wounded, confusion. The, his family was shattered. Michael's sense of identity, which is shaped in relationship, was also shattered. Michael's understanding of love was shattered. And so his soul was left wounded in confusion and lost and disconnected. And what's remarkable is that a wounded, lost, disconnected soul can still reach high heights. It just can't stay there. Because the gravity of the blank that's not filled in pulls you down. Truth be told, Fred had approached Michael to re-enter his life several years earlier. But Michael said, look, you weren't there for me when I needed you. Now I'm rich and famous. You're going to come. I don't need you. But in that program, as he started reading this book, Purpose Driven Life, written by Pastor Rick... Lo- uh, Rick uh, Lauren, what is it? Warren, thank you. Lord have mercy. Written by Pastor Rick Warren. And if you haven't read it, I suggest that you read it. Uh, it essentially, here's a summary of it. It essentially says that your purpose, the identity of your purpose is not in what you do. It's not in the medals that you win. The identity of your purpose is in the fact that God created you, that God loves you, and that God has revealed that in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and conquered death on your behalf. Your identity of purpose is in God. That's the summary. And Rick and, and Michael was through with his daddy. But during that 45 days, reading chapter by chapter, he got to the place which is number three, where, 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 where I believe you have to expose your hurt and your questions to God and be willing to confront the reality that comes back at you. And so he realized, he somewhere figured out that what's really driving me crazy is the heartbreak around my dad. But he wasn't willing to deal with his dad. But then he got to chapter 20 in the book. And in chapter 20, Pastor Rick Warren quotes from 2 Chronicles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, which essentially says, essentially that God has given us the gift of reconciliation in his son, Jesus Christ, meaning that the 
despite all the crazy stuff you've done, Michael, the unforgivable stuff you've done with your body, with drugs, with your reputation, in Jesus, you have found complete forgiveness, complete grace, and a love that is completely unconditional. And then the verse goes on to say, since you have found that in Jesus, you now have the ministry, the responsibility of reconciliation, of being a reconciler of relationships. And right there in that moment, in that moment, watch it, is when his soul came to life, when he realized, I'm forgiven and restored by Jesus. I now have to do the same thing to the one who has broken my heart. And then he said, tell daddy to come to family day. See, that's how it works. And then daddy comes. And then the motion, the, the, the video ends by saying, after the 45 days, after he had confronted, after he had exposed, the, the last point is, then you need to reconnect with God's purpose and God's love. And then once the soul has begun to heal, here's a point. Don't forget this point. Break a bone. Everybody shout bone. Break a bone. And if you set it correctly and allow it to heal, what we learn is that in that place where it was once broken the bone becomes stronger after the healing than it was before the original break so here's the point what David says you can actually grow to if you expose your hurt and pain to God and allow God to have his way and align your life with God's love God's purpose and then do what comes out of that like he had to deal with his daddy right what what David is saying is that where you're broken it can heal and you'll become better there than you were before. You'll become wiser. You'll become stronger. You'll become more capable. You'll become more competent in relationships, in parenting. Wherever it is that was broken, you can become stronger. That's the power. And then it says, then he goes on the real. He picks up where the text lays off at. After the soul has been restored, then David writes, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. While my soul is disconnected, I don't even know which way is right. I don't know what is straight up. But when I start to get in relationship, he can lead me. And then I'll end it here. If you go, read it, the verse in the Hebrew, six verses. That's Psalms 23. Go from the top to the middle, to the bottom to the middle. It's verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Watch this. And it's about the presence of God. For thou art what? With me. The power of God is exposing yourself to his presence. All right. Let me, last thing. We ended here. In a previous office, I used to have a big office in Mother Church. And I had plants. And I was trying to grow these plants. But they were dying. And I knew that you do two things to grow plants. One is you give them water, and two, you talk to them. And so, and so I, was, I was giving some of these plants, I was watering a couple of times a day. Just trying to keep them alive, and I talked to them, hello, Mr. Plant, what's your name, how you doing? How come your leaf is getting brown? I'm going to want you to work with me here, all right? And, but none of that was working. So Sister Sandra, uh, Ed's wife, came in one day. And she's good with plants. And I said, Sister Sandra, can you help me? I said, these plants, she looked at them and said, oh my goodness, they're dying. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I, said, I said, can you help me? She says, well, tell me what you're doing. I said, well, I'm giving them water two or three times a day. She says, oh, no. She said, these kind of plants, you only give water once, maybe every couple of weeks. 
I said, oh. I said, well, I've also been talking to him. She says, well, okay. And then <laughs> she, she said, she said, she said, she said, well, let me tell you, first thing about this plant, this big old plant, she said, it's in the wrong place. She says, it's over here in the shadows. She said, but what you got to do is move it over where the sun shines. So she said, come on, help me. And, and, and I helped her. And we moved it over to the where the sun shines. And then I left it there. And what I found, remember David says, he, God, restores my soul. My mama can't restore my soul. My children can't restore my soul. I can't restore my own soul. Come on. Even through all the self-help books I read, I can't do it. So what, 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 what did I do with the plant? I moved the plant over. And there's something about the sun and the power of the sun that the sun could do what I could never do. The sun shine and in the rays of the sun, I came in and the next day, the next day, I saw some of those leaves that had been almost brown, the green began to return. And I said, wow. And then I came, I almost gave it some water, I said, no, leave it alone. And then, and then, and then I came back three more days later, come on now. The brown, y'all ain't listening to me, had become green. In other words, the plant's prayer had been answered. Because when the plant was over here, using Tony Braxton language, it was saying, can somebody unbreak my heart? Come on now. And when we move the plant over into the sun, God says, I got the power. Come on. And in the light of the presence of the sun, come on, brown turned to green. Leaves came back that had fallen off. And the plant that was duped over straightened up and looked healthy and powerful. I couldn't do it, but the sun could do it. I'm here to tell you, learn how to open up your soul, open up your heart, open up your pain to a God of love, a God of purpose, a God who's revealed in his son, S-O-N, and let his love, his grace fall on your life. And what mama can't do and what the preacher can't do, God can unbreak your heart. Shout amen. Shout hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. He's a soul restorer. Amen. That's it. Give God a hand, praise. All right, now it's time for you to think about your next step. If you're watching by video or you're here. Here you got connection cards. You got a list of next steps there. But you have to make the decision. Say yes to Jesus. Be baptized. Join a small group. Take a step towards. But under the response to the message, here's what I want to challenge you. I want you to, I want you to make this commitment. I want you to write it and turn it in as your serious commitment. And then I want you to actualize it by showing back up next week and bring somebody with you who also has a broken heart. So we can talk about the how. I gave, we can talk about the how because this stuff is hard that I'm talking to you about. It's hard. But I want you to write. I want you to write up and put it up there. Put it up there. I want you to write this message. God, I will open my heart to you. Make that commitment now. God bless you.